Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, and the namesake. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College, the best-selling author, farmer, classicist, essayist at American Greatness, the New Criterion, and at his website, victorhanson.com, about which I will be telling you later because you need to be subscribing to that. So a lot to talk about today. And today, as we record, it's Sunday, July 31st. And this particular program should be up on the World Wide Web's on Thursday, August 4th. Victor, the first thing we're going to talk about is the crybaby mayor of the District of Columbia, <laughs> Muriel Bowser, who's got a little turnabout. And man, it's fair play. So we'll get to that right after these important messages. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious Great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash 
Victor 50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code VICTOR50, that's code VICTOR50, at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, the madness at the border, which I don't think we really talk about enough, and, and maybe, maybe we need to dedicate a little more time on our next podcast, but it is madness, right? And 20,000 people a day, 30,000 people a day coming over. And who's bearing the brunt of this? The people of Texas, people of Arizona, the people of Southern California. So, Governor Abbott of Texas has decided to uh, get some buses and ship some of these people to some of those sanctuary cities that are so concerned with immigrants, so concerned they will not turn them in. And one of those cities is the District of Columbia, whose mayor is Muriel Bowser. And if I may, on the side a little bit, Victor, you remember you know, when the George Floyd riots happened? Yes, she, was, she, was, she was busy making sure the streets of Washington were, were painted Black Lives Matter. Yes, I remember on May 31st when the crowd at Lafayette Square torched the Saint, the historic St. John's Episcopal Church, and they went across the street, and they battled an outnumbered group of Secret Service agents, and they requested that Muriel Bowser send in the municipal mm -hmm. police, and she wouldn't do it. Right. And they almost overwhelmed. And all you people who feel that January 6th was an insurrection, tell me what that was when it sent the president of the United States and secret service to the underground bunker in fears they were going to overrun that fence and break into the white house grounds if not the white house so that and that was planned on social media right. so yeah i remember her really well I remember also how how great law enforcement was victor after the republican convention yep. 2020 which was at the white house remember senator Rand paul and his yeah, wife when he walked uh, he was in danger yeah. he walked down the street and he was in physical danger at the time he was suffering from a severe lung injury i think they took from that uh, neighbor that tried to 
I don't know what he tried he to sucker, do. He, yeah, he sucker, suckered him, punched yeah. him, knocked him down, and they had to remove, I think, eventually a part of his lung. Yeah. And then he got COVID after that. Which brings up, you know, not to be off topic, but at some point ahead, when, when, show. You, when you think about the series of events in recent years, the attack on some of the Republican congressmen playing baseball by Mr. Hodkinson, who was a Bernie Sanders volunteer in the campaign. And then you think of Lee Zeldin, who was attacked not long ago by somebody with a very strange little, I don't know what it was, a hand plastic blade, but trying to stab him in the neck. And then you think of Rand Paul being attacked. And then you remember Senator Schumer saying, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you sowed the wind, you will not, you will reap the whirlwind, you won't know what hits you. And then you see these people swarm. Justice Kavanaugh, right? Justice Kavanaugh, when he's eating dinner, they swarm him. Or then this, this Roski or whatever his name is showed up outside of his house ready to not just shoot, we learn Kavanaugh, but maybe three more justices, two or three more justices. And you think to yourself, where was the outrage? Mm-hmm. And there was no outrage, and I hate to say that, but the heart was applauded. Left. Not, not even applauded. no outrage. It was applauded by it was Maxine Waters. Get in their faces. Follow them home. Go to the gas station. And I have an article coming out. What if everything was reciprocal? What if the right did all the things the left are doing? Showed up at Soda Myers' house. That would be terrible to do that. That would be one of the worst things you could do. What if they did something like that? What if? You know, what if they decided to, you know, Kevin McCarthy wanted to tear up the State of the Union address on national television? What if Kevin McCarthy said when they take the House, there's not going to be one squad member on any committee? I am going to veto Nancy Pelosi, minority leader's selection. So it's always asymmetrical with the left. That's what's so disturbing. Well, Victor, one of the, those people who, as we you know, began this podcast with the, the, the applauding or stood by and watched is again, you know, DC mayor Muriel Bowser and the, um, the busloads of uh, illegal immigrants. I don't know if, am I allowed to say that? Maybe no, you're not allowed. Joe Biden outlawed the word. Oh, okay. The Supreme court <laughs> used it. My policy when my editors at the Tribune content agency would always change it. They went, they change it from illegal alien to illegal immigrant to undocumented immigrant to immigrant. So you wouldn't know which way a person was going, Latin X or Latin preposition in. Right. No, you can say that. Okay. Well, I said it. And uh, yeah, she's guess she's calling out the National Guard. Help, help. We can't handle this. 4,000. Is that what we've done think, now to East Coast? I think it was, I think it was about 5,000. So. Yeah. so, and how and it's anticipated that when summer's over, there's going to have been cumulative 3 million people since Joe Biden took office that have crossed illegally the southern border at a time of pandemic without vaccinations, without COVID tests, without any audit at all. And they're destroying these communities along the Rio Grande Valley, as anybody would in those numbers, destroyed by, I mean, overtaxing their schools, their legal sources, their healthcare facilities, their housing, and nobody cared. And so they get a little whiff of that and they go paranoid. And when, if she had any principles, she said, we welcome diversity. We welcome it. We want to inculcate these new immigrants into our civic identity. 
bring us more. Bring us your tired and your poor. They always quote the Lazarus on the Statue of Liberty. Here's the chance. And as I said, you know, we have two million empty dorms. And my gosh, they're all empty right now. They're sitting there at Harvard and Yale and MIT and Duke and Stanford and Berkeley. And they have law schools and medical schools and schools of business and interns that could really take the illegal immigrant, I should, I should say the immigrant community that has crossed the border and house them and feed them and take care of their health needs and maybe you know double up when school starts with students if they really want this to continue, but they don't. They're okay if Maria and Juan cut their lawn or clean their home and then go home and don't come back until the next workday. But other than that, they have no desire to be affected in any way whatsoever by their ideology. That's for little people. Right. She's now affected and she doesn't like it. And some of the things she said, to be quite candid, were almost exclusionary. They really were. You know, that was impacting or disrupting Washington and this and this and this. It almost sounded as if there was a racial motive to it. I don't know. These, yeah, those, these people uh, were coming in and they're, you know, they're, we can't handle these people. And yeah, sometimes, Victor, you know, there's two sets of rules. And I, I don't think that's necessarily hypocrisy. Uh, they really do believe that they have a se separate set of rules. But this case that's is really the John kind Kerry of hypocrisy. Rule. hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the, you John, know, just... the John Kerry rule that you have to bombard the upper atmosphere with carbon emissions to save it. Oh my gosh! Some list. Uh, I wish I had picked that for a subject. I, I got, he said I, that though. He said that he there was no other way to save us unless he could fly his private jet everywhere. Well, uh, the another man who wrote a book on on climate change, the great uh, uh, Bill Gates, uh, talks <laughs> about his. Uh, I don't know. We called it some selfish little pleasure. Kind of embarrassed, but he's got four private jets and the amount of. So, so anyway, someone, some organization did some analysis of the celebrities that are, you know, flying around to these conferences and pumping. The problem tons with Bill and Gates and all of, those guys is, is they take out their cell phone and they look at all the money that they still have, and then they divide it by their average lifespan the hours right. they have left on this planet, and then they think they'll never be able to satisfy all their appetites, and it's unlimited. They can do anything in the world, and they cave, and they start, you know, Bill Gates starts to be a friend of Jeffrey Epstein, and he gets right. divorced, and he has accused of sexual misconduct or harassment, or they have private deals, or he gets four private planes. And then to make up that lapse because they're not transcendent people they believe the only way they can square that circle is to play pay you know catholic type penance and i don't mean orthodox catholic but right. you know what i'm talking about yeah. and so they start yeah. to mouth off about peace and brotherhood and the therapeutic bromides and then that exempts them from they are the yeah. on that very point both gates and warren buffett who if he dies as the wall street journal did some analysis recently he, he may leave in a state of 110 billion dollars you know uh, yeah. so but well, you know where they plan is where they have been spending their money and plan is abortion they're just like crazy no, i don't understand that uh, i really uh, don't they have yeah. warren buffett george soros there's all these problems i mean there's so many kids with down syndrome and they're not getting good help or research. Why don't they make a 20 Down syndrome centers? 
where people could go and they'd have a hotel, they'd have mm. facilities, they could see get top care regional, you know, in all 11, 10 regional areas of the United States. Why don't they go to, what isn't Buffett and somebody say, we're going to spend $10 billion to save thousands of lives by improving this particular stretch of highway or this particular freeway where, where people get killed in droves. Why, we're going to do that. Or why don't they go into the inner city and, you know, and they'll say, and not give it to some, just pay, pay. Right. If they, and they never do that. Yeah. They never, never do that. Well, they're Malthusians. Um, and, and uh, I, I don't know that they'd be as crude as remember, remember, um, Oh my God. What's it? Bloomberg, the great farmer, Michael Bloomberg, when he, uh, when he was running for, uh, um, his third term as mayor in New York, and the, the hit ad against him was he, there was some woman who worked for him. She was pregnant, and he said, "Kill it." I Kill remember it. that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I remember that. And but the, the weird thing about person. that was in the Democratic primary, he had sort of a soft denial or or contextualization of that because some handler obviously had said to him, "Wait a minute, kill it right. in the Democratic primary, Mike." Yeah. You know, your problem is that they feel you're too centrist, but we've got to get your fides established. And there's no better way in the Democratic Party of today in a primary to show that you're a radical, all-in abortionist. Well, Victor, we've got a few other things to uh, talk about, obviously, today. And one of them has to do with a uh, piece you wrote for your website. And it is one of the ultra pieces, the exclusive pieces. But from time to time on our podcast, we let folks know about some of the content there. And this one is titled Res Ipsa Loquitur. I probably have said every word wrong of that Latin phrase. And you talk in this piece about uh, five self-evident banalities. And one of them is uh, Liz Cheney. So two things here, Victor, three things. One, correct my pronunciation. Two, explain the title. And three, have at it your thoughts on Liz Cheney. The thing speaks for itself. There's no, the fact is that she is going to lose her congressional seat. The people of Wyoming have come to the conclusion that while they were famous for 50 years, Wyoming family, the Cheneys, that Liz Cheney, and she was the third in line in the Republican House, that they were perfectly fine if she, I mean, they weren't fine with it, but if she wanted as the third ranking Republican to vote to impeach the Republican president and, and join nine others of what, 210, that was it, then she could have resigned her position and say, I have a matter, it's a matter of conscience. And then she could have impeached. She voted to impeach. And she could have been like our representative, my congressman, who I vehemently disagreed for his vote on impeachment. But I will give credit to David Valadeo. He voted to impeach Donald Trump. He said, this was the decision. I understand that my base is upset. I'm sorry I did it. I, and then he went on. He never discussed it again, basically. He's in a plus 10 Democratic district. His critics said, well, he was doing that to get independence. But the point is, he won the primary, unlike Liz Cheney. And he will be opposed against a very radical left winger, and I'm going to vote for him. Was and it so even close, I'm, Victor, the primary? It was close, but he won. 
Okay. And, and my point is that Liz Cheney had every opportunity to do that. She could have sit, gone back to the voters and said, look, I know you people genuinely disagree and you're good people, but I just felt that Donald Trump was not muscular enough in stopping this. But instead, and that would have been it. She would have been reelected. But what she did was she was absorbed by it. And then the media appearances, hundreds of them, the darling of the left. She doesn't understand how the left works. I thought she did after what they did to her father. I wrote a column about her father in 2006 and seven when they went out and called him a Halberton stooge, a war criminal, a Nazi. They hated him. And they defamed him and they were unfair to him. Doesn't she understand how they operate? So now she is, whether we like to use that term or not, she's a useful idiot. I think, they, Victor, they, if you take one person and associate it with the hearings, anyone, you know, a politician involved with it, it it's her. It's not the chairman. No, it's no, not, it's not. Uh, it's not no. the chairman. The chairman himself, Benny Thompson, is that his name? He was a guy, as was pointed out by Byron York, that in 2004, he didn't want to certify the election. He thought there was election fraud in Ohio. He was trying to delegitimize the legitimate leader. He was everything that he says Donald Trump was for. He's the chairman. So she took over de facto that committee, and she knows that the only Republicans that are serving on that committee are either politically inert or they have voted to impeach the president that have any stature. And she knows that Republicans who would have provided needed cross-examination and to grill witnesses that had been coached by that committee, like this Cassidy character who couldn't refrain her exuberance for Donald Trump and to make fun of the committee. And then when she meets with these people and they read her the riot act and the legal bills that are going to ensue, should she continue that Trump support, she flips and says that he's a threat to the Constitution. That's how they're running this thing. And so she also said that she wasn't going to encourage cross-party registration. She wasn't going to take out-of-state money from left-wing organizations. And that's exactly what she's doing. And so she's going to lose in Wyoming, the primary. She, If she tries to run in the general election, she will lose. She will go gravitate back to where she spent most of her life in the Washington nexus and then it'll be interesting, Jack, because we'll see whether it's a CNN or MSNBC, not analyst, but anchor woman, or whether she's going to run sort of a Ralph Nader spoiler 2000 type campaign where she says, well, okay, I'm going to run and galvanize. This is Bill Crystal's dream, right? Right. He's right. been looking for somebody besides our friend David, David French. <laughs> And others, Evan McMullen, and now he's got Liz Cheney with name recognition, and maybe she can get the 9% of the Republicans never Trump vote up to 10 or 12. Who knows? Maybe she can do what Ross Perot, his second anemic run in 1996 when he got about 9% of the vote. We'll see. I don't think she can, but she's obsessed And she made her point, and she could have recovered politically had she wanted to. But I think that the adulation and the exposure and all of this celebratory status was new to her, and it went to her head. Yeah. And then she can't say a word. She literally can't say a word about high gas prices or a porous border or a disaster abroad or the end of deterrence 
or a spiking crime wave, and she can give a peep or two about Roe versus Wade, and then the left says, wait a minute, you don't talk about Roe versus Wade. You're a useful idiot. We made you, and we're doing this because you're supposed to talk about Donald Trump being an insurrectionist. If you get off topic or off the menu, you're going to be in trouble, and then she quiets down. It's like I hate some to of say our... that because I, I've had dinner with her. I like her. Yeah. But I can't. And I've had a lot of disagreements with some prominent people in Wyoming that are her staunch supporters. But my gosh, she's obsessed. She didn't have to be. She she sounds you mentioned Crystal before. But yeah, it's not kind of the things that won't be spoken about by a, an alleged conservative is of the bulwark. You know, the the uh, the Crystal website, it's tailor made for that. Yeah, well, more power to her. But as I said, there's a lot of people like myself that would never have voted to impeach a president, much less to impeach a president twice much less to to have a president impeached and tried as a private citizen and yet has it in his heart, not that I'm a magnanimous person, but I'm a realist, to vote for somebody who did that. And that's David Valdeo. And I urge every conservative, Republican, independent, Democrat to vote for David Valdeo in the November election. And that's not because I approve of what he did, but because given the alternative, he will be a much better congressman than a left-wing radical, and he will help the Republicans take the House. I think that's the position of the House Minority Leader McCarthy as well. So there were people in Wyoming that may have given her that benefit of the doubt had she just done what Validato did. Yeah, And he's the only one of the 10 that has a political future as, as of right now. Right. Well, Victor, let's um, let's talk about the midterm elections coming up, and as particular to uh, Asian Americans and their numbers, their affinity for Democratic parties in decline. And then there's a very interesting piece that is out in the New York Post uh, about Asian students that I think is worth your commentary. And we will hear from you about these things right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. 
I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Uh, as I mentioned at the outset, you know, victorhanson.com is Victor's website. It's a collection of Victor's various appearances, and not only these podcasts, other podcasts, video links, his articles that he writes for American Greatness and other places, and the exclusive articles he writes just for that website. So to read the, I will pronounce it wrong again, ipsa, res ipsa loquitur, uh, piece and many others, you have to subscribe. It's $5, $50 for the year, $5 for the first month. I call it the test drive, test drive, victorhanson.com. And you will say, why didn't I do this earlier? Uh, if you're a Victor Davis Hanson fan, you got to be on that site. So uh, check it out. And as for me, Jack Fowler, I write uh, civil thoughts, a free weekly, no strings attached. We're not selling you named any list, a newsletter, that recommends a dozen or so worthwhile articles of uh, intellectual, political, uh, maybe even fun every once in a while. So uh, how do you get that? Uh, sign up for it, please. Civilthoughts.com. And I write that for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. And we are trying to strengthen civil society. And and damn, it needs to be strengthened. You want to know more about that? Center for Civil Society.com. So uh, Victor... Two things. First, we are recording on the Sunday the 31st, and in the New York Post, there's a uh, interesting piece. Okay, it's relative to New York City, but it's titled, Asian Students Are Biggest Losers in New New York City School Admission System. And, you know, that New York City has some elite high schools, a test to get in, meritocracy, you know, these things are dying or dead now. The Asian students, quote-unquote Asian were clearly overrepresented, which sounds like a wrong word, but for a proportion of the, of the population, take the Bronx High School of Science, a very famous, have to test and to get into the school, a very high, significant uh, Asian population there, Stuyvesant, other schools. Um, through these new testing standards, though, uh, Asians uh, in New York City have have fallen way down on the list. You're allowed to pick some of the schools you want to go to, Guess what? If you're a high-ranking Asian uh, student, you get there's a 70% chance you get into one of the five schools you've you've chosen. If you're black or Hispanic in New York City, there's a 98% chance. So hey, they see this, they're like, what the hell's going on here? How come again are we all of a sudden second-class citizens? Which Victor I think goes along with uh stories we have seen or heard over the past couple of years, how Asian uh, students are being uh, kind of pushed out of uh, colleges and college admissions, uh, the uh, targeted crimes against Asians, which have been blamed on conservatives when, of course, they're being, no, they're, you know, they're, they're it's crazy. Not. So here's a, uh, so we have that kind of just another story in an <laughs> ongoing saga of, of, uh, of uh, th- nose thumbing at Asians. And then, there's a piece uh, today by uh, Diana uh, Globova. I'm not sure who she is. She may be an intern. She's writing for National Review, but the title is Asian American Support for Biden Dissipates Before Midterms. I think it's fair to say Asians were you know, strong 
uh, Democratic ally voting population. Not anymore. It's uh, I think it's 40 percent approved, Biden, 55 percent approved. It looks like there's a 30 percent drop in support. So uh, these are, you know, dynamics that we've seen with the Hispanic community and even the black community in America. I mean, you've got to be something's wrong with you if you think if you're if if whatever group you belongs to doesn't doesn't have decreasing support for uh, Democrats and Joe Biden. Your thoughts, Victor, about this uh, uh, where where, uh, uh, Asian uh, feelings are in the United States right now, political and cultural? Well, I think they have. There've been a series of radical changes. I think the Asian community, when they immigrated, the original Japanese and Chinese diaspora, they became sort of new dealers, the people I grew up with. And then during the Reagan years, remember Senator Senator Hayakawa, they became conservative because they became not just middle class, but in terms of per capita income, Asians are the highest earning ethnic group in the United States. And that sort of alienated not Hispanics as much as African-Americans, especially because there were a lot of Korean, we saw in the Rodney King riots, there were a lot of Korean store owners, and they were on the front lines of commerce and entrepreneurship. And people said, well, we're sick of you being the ideal minority. I think it was Jesse Jackson. Maybe one of the leaders can verify whether this is correct, but he said something to the degree that African-Americans could follow Asians around, take pictures of what they do or record what they do, and then follow that, emulate. It got him in trouble. He said a lot of things like that, actually, in his earlier incarnation. But my point is that they became conservative. And then with the Obama administration and Barack Obama's radical new idea of racial emphasis that he coined the word diversity and everybody belonged to it unless you were white. And suddenly it was no longer an 88-12 binary black and white that had historical grievances against the majority culture that the African-American, but it was, you know, it was a, a multimillionaire Punjabi. It was a Korean orthodontist. It was a Japanese American stockbroker. It was a Chinese owner of five supermarkets. Class had nothing to do with it, and they were left. They went back left again and hard left. The problem is, though, that they had never resolved certain issues in the Asian community vis-a-vis the left-wing movement. And the first, of course, was that African-Americans had entertained an historic dislike stereotype, not all, but as you saw in the Rodney King riots. And as you see today, with African-Americans inordinately involved in anti-Asian hate crimes, and indeed, twice their numbers in the demographic represented in hate crimes in general. And so that was one reason why there's been a re-examination of their political affiliations is because Asians are afraid to go out in the streets of major cities, of Washington, of Baltimore, San Francisco, or wherever, because they feel they're going to be targeted. And they're going to be targeted in such a way that their members of a, the so-called diversity community is not going to matter, that their assailants will be either not mentioned or they will be contextualized. By the way, Victor, I interrupt. The, the proof of what you just said, the, the fear is uh, is the um, recall of, of the DA in, in uh, San Francisco. Absolutely. And you're going to yeah. see the same Asian community come out in droves for Gascon and Los Angeles. And then the second thing is that the older generation, the third or sometimes first, second or third generations, depending on the the Asian 
particular Asian community, they had been pretty much sold on the American idea of meritocracy. It had been, for all of the accusations that the white community was stuck in 19th century racism, it wasn't true. Their attitude of the majority culture had been, if Asians are going to study hard and play by the rules, and they're 50% of the UC Berkeley student body, more power to them than maybe my son will get off the couch and start studying. I know that when I walk across the Stanford campus and I see maybe 30% of Asians, and by the way, that rubric has expanded to include people from the Indian subcontinent. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. I think to myself, wow, these people should be here. This is exactly what America's about. You reward hard work and diligence and superb achievement. Okay, so that was what they were told. And then all of a sudden, whether it's this famous school in New York or Lowell School in San Francisco, they butt up against the new democratic radical Jacobin idea. There's no such thing as merit. And anybody who excels anybody else does it for selfish reasons and because of privilege or advantage. And it's the role of the state to intervene in that process and take a hammer and knock down the nail that sticks up and pull the nail that's not as high up and equal not equal, not equality of opportunity, but equality of result. So now the Asian community is in a state of crisis because when they look at the people who are saying, we don't like quotas for university admissions. We don't like ending meritocracy at magnet schools that value test scores and grades and civic citizenship. And who is that? And we deplore hate crimes and we want to punish any lawbreaker of any race or ethnicity who attacks somebody on the basis of racial hatred. Who's saying that? It's not the Democratic Party. It's not the left. It's the Republican Party. So I think what we're going to see is that you're going to see 50 to 60 percent of the Asian community vote Republican and conservative. It's going to be broken down by age. In other words, there's going to be voters 18 to 35 that grew up in the Obama years and, you know, the woke and the politically correct years. And they're going to feel that culturally they're not going to be ostracized by becoming or acting or appearing conservative, but their parents will be. And so you're going to see a big shift. It's going to be a generational shift. Sometimes I do Chinese language interviews with Kathy Zhang in, in San Francisco and from the feedback I get from people who listen, who email me, it's definitely a generational issue. To some extent, it's an immigration generational. In other words, the first generation coming from a different country with firsthand knowledge and experience with poverty and oppression really is hyper patriotic. And they feel that this is heaven. And partly it is that as people get older and they become successful in America, they see that it is the land of opportunity. And they're not subject to the propaganda of the left. They're autonomous and independent in a way that their children at the universities and, and primary schools are. So, yeah, that's a long explanation, but that's what's happening. And to a certain degree, that paradigm applies to the Hispanic community as well. Seems like every Democratic candidate, I'm exaggerating, but most Democratic candidates that are Hispanic in my area of the woods either were staffers for a prior candidate and they have never been out in the private workforce or they work for government or they're head of an agency. 
and they're very, very left wing. And all of the conservative Hispanic candidates were labor contractors or independent restaurant owners or real estate agents, but they've been out in the real world where you either survive or you fail on the basis of your own work or expertise. And so there's going to be these generational conflicts as well. Victor, you mentioned uh, the Stanford campus, and I, was, I wasn't I was on the campus. I drove by it several times last week. I was in Palo Alto, saw the Hoover Tower and and on the top of it uh, you were in and if you were i would have i would have knocked on the door or gone up in the secret elevator whatever however you i'm on long covid temporary leave but i will be back as i've told people very soon soon enough hey well just if if you don't mind a little detour here while i was uh, when when i when i was out there i had i had uh, dinner uh, with uh, our old friend scott Ermagut, who used to produce your, your podcast on ricochet yes. and scott's uh, a good friend and Andrew Roberts, the great historian. Another good friend, good and, and person. And Jay Bhattacharya, who I, I had not met before. And what a, I really love this guy. He's a, as just as a human being, and he's a, a, a fellow at Hoover. Um, and just quickly, any thoughts uh, uh, about him and what he went through and how he- well, He was one of the signees of the, are the organizers, the Great Barrington Medical Initiative, right. where he and- John Ioannidis, another famous immunologist at Stanford, Michael Levette, I think the Nobel Prize winner, and Jay, as well as Scott Atlas, they were sort of a tetrad. And very early on, they, in different ways with different emphases, pointed out that although mask wearing can be useful within 95 masks, that this stuff that you're putting mask over, every anything that's called a mask could just as well be a receptacle for germs or Vira than it could be a preventative or prophylactic. They pointed out that shutdowns and quarantines had a useful medical history, but not blanketly applied. Mm-hmm. In other words, that it would be better to focus and harness our resources and fixate on older people in rest homes and long care facilities and isolate their workers that have to be with them. They were again and again talking about therapeutics, having an open mind that if a drug had a long history of safety and you were using it in an off-label capacity experimentally, well, that had to be watched very closely. It should not be prohibited in the way that we were using very, very dangerous and high-priced pharmaceuticals, especially antivirals, and promiscuously using them at great cost, sometimes without even doctor's intervention. I think you can get Paxlovid without even a doctor. I mean, just go to a center and get it. It's a very powerful and sometimes a drug fraught with a lot of side effects. So they said everything, Jack, that is reality now. And they also told us that as much as they support the use of vaccination, that the vaccinations would probably be more comparable to the annual flu vaccination than a smallpox or measles that has long-lasting prophylaxis. And just pretty much, they said it was a tragedy. We weren't working on therapeutics. So everything that we know now is common knowledge. And what would they get for all that? What did they get for all that? They got the uh-huh. medical establishment, the pharmaceuticals, the university, uh, uh-huh. medical schools, the Fauci, Francis Collin, Nexus, the Biden campaign. And then they got nothing but venom right. and calumny and opposition. And in some cases, they suffered professionally, career-wise, they were ostracized. 
both socially and professionally. And they were right. And Jay is a good example. And through that entire ordeal, he kept his head. He was polite. Oh, my god! He never reciprocated the invective right. that was directed at him. Yeah. Happy and, warrior. John Yanitas didn't either. Scott was more blunt because he was in a political position. Right. And everybody said, well, Scott was abrasive and quoting Dr. Burks. But in fact, Scott was in vain trying to point out that these people could be dangerous if you listen to them. And they right. were dangerous. And if you look at the latest statistics, I think it was released this weekend, the soaring number of cardiac and cancer cases due to neglected screenings and procedures that went on during that two-year period just as exactly as Scott and Jay and right. John had worried about. So it's, it's really tragic what what happens. And this is a propensity of democracies. They get worked up in these hysterias, and then they find these public enemies, and they just try to destroy them. Right. The idea that Dr. Fauci, in some manner, was the point man, and that he... In the destruction um, effort. Yeah. yeah, and then right. he himself... I mean, it's if you were a novel, we need Michael Crichton to write a novel. I wish he was alive because he right. could have written the best novel about Fauci. Right. Because in some sense, looking back at all this, it makes perfect sense that Anthony Fauci knew that gain-of-function research was illegal in the United States. And he got around that, maybe for noble reasons, he thought it was an essential to study them by giving this money to Peter Daszak, who gave it through Echo Health to the virology lab in Wuhan. But the point, I don't know the degree to which that enabled this research to take pathogens from bats and gain and work on them and under the auspices, apparently, of the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army. But nevertheless, and then to deny, deny, deny that. And when those emails came out, that were pretty clear that they were worried about that. I think... Fauci said, don't worry, it's just a bright, shiny object. And then when he got into those tit for tats with Rand Paul, and he will get them in again, right. and you collate all of that with vaccinations are the answer, the ultimate end all, and mask wearing is the end all, and then Paxiloid, and then you see him be vaccinated twice, and then have two boosters, and then two courses of the magic antiviral, when he said basically all of that was the end all. If right. we all did what he did, you wouldn't get this virus. So it's tragic. It really is that in some sense, his support, his prestige, his authority, his control of multi-billion dollar grants, his network of friends, either condoned or colluded with transference of money to a lab that engaged in, in gain of... Uh, yeah, Victor, if this was some mafia... It, right, it would yeah. be money laundering. It would it would be a crime. It would not be considered not a crime, uh, right? If well, it really doesn't it beg the question or, that if yeah. you had that degree of culpability and you were the point man in demonizing legitimate healthcare professionals and strategists and scientists and doctors like Bacharya and Atlas and Yanides and all of these wonderful people, that it might be some defense mechanism 
that you wanted to shield yourself and deflect attention from your role in funding a very dangerous medical line of research that indirectly maybe have contributed in some small way to this outbreak that's killed over a million people. And, uh, you know, for someone like myself who got COVID, got over, and then I've got, I'm on 90 days of this overwhelming fatigue and neuropathy and brain problems and no taste or smell. Uh, you you think about this sometime. Why, why did this happen? Why did this path, why didn't somebody come out and tell us at the very beginning where it originated, why it originated, who contributed to it, and why didn't we welcome all of the medical community to work at a very early age to see if we could save these million people who died or the 10 million who have long COVID? Why didn't we do that? And a lot of it is because Dr. Fauci was too busy getting on television 24-7 right. and trying to protect his reputation and trying to demonize that of other people. That's a harsh verdict, but it's true. It's true. And he's he's going to suffer. I, I feel bad for him because history is not going to be kind to him. But and he will he will have a portrait in the National Gallery. I did I so. did I read that this week? I think someone I they're going to think it'll. Some... It, I don't think that it's going to be there long. Oh. I, do you think it's going to be there long? When yeah. the, we have in our podcast, we have interviewed Devin Nunes, and right. I'm going to try to have that as a weekly feature of the Victor Hansen podcast. And I'm going to try to have Stephen C. Quay come up. I guess you'd call him a molecular biologist, doctor, researcher. And he wrote with Professor Mueller from UC Berkeley, a very insightful Wall Street Journal op-ed, as you remember, about the origins of COVID. Right. And pretty clearly from his things he's published, I mean, he's a mainstream academic doctor, both an operational doctor, a medical doctor, and a PhD. And he has a whole line of research interests. And it's pretty clear that from the lectures I've heard him give and the research papers he's written that I've read, and we're going to talk to him because I think he's made an argument that the virus most likely was let loose, probably not intentionally, but, but accidentally, but criminally accidentally in the sense that because of prior releases, you would expect that to have happened in that poorly maintained but very dangerous level four virology well, lab. And at that point, he leaves it open to speculation as I as I collate his work, but right. we don't know what the Chinese military was doing, whether they were trying to find a vaccine or they were engaged in some type of nefarious research. But we're going to have him on. Well, yeah, you tell, Victor, not to give away anything, and I may have misunderstood, but does he not also have a kind of approaching apocalyptic view to this. Maybe apocalyptic's too strong a word, but we hear him talk. Are we going to be frightened? I think so, because he in the past, as remember, called, I think in 2021, he called for an international effort to find out what happened. He's investigated everything from breast cancer to the coronavirus, but he called for an international effort to try to find out the origins. And why did he want to do that? Because he felt that that lab was continuing research post-COVID. And if this had happened once, it could happen again, and it could happen to a much more right. deadly degree. So yes, as long as that 
virology lab is in operation, as long right. as it's not transparent, as long as the Chinese military is controlling it, as long as it's not clear about what its ultimate aims are with gain-of-function virology research. I mean, Dr. Quay has not mentioned it, but if you see people across the political spectrum, both professional and conspiratorial, who have said, well, they it was let out because, you know, they thought it was some kind of bioweapon and it kind of prematurely, and that's was released, and maybe they hadn't got the vaccine for it. And so one of the arguments was they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have never been released intentionally because they would have had a vaccine. And I don't believe it was released. I want to make that clear to listeners intentionally, but the, the knowledge that I have in my limited grasp, but I do believe that experts like Dr. Quay and others believe that that type of research is so dangerous. Right and so capable of destroying millions of people's lives that it should not be conducted in general. And it certainly should not be conducted under the auspices of the Chinese Communist Party when they're using technology, and I should say this, Western technology, the ability to breed mice with human lungs, so to speak, so they can right. do human experiment. That was not their technology. That was right. given to them or sold to them by Americans and Europeans. I, I assume I assume that the research really doesn't end. It's not, you know, like, I'll, but I'll still use a baseball, you know, analogy of innings. And I wonder if, you know, if the, let's okay, it was, it 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 was an accident. That's how it got out. But did it get out in the first inning of the research, or did it get out in the seventh well, inning? That's, or the, ninth that's inning? the sixty-four thousand know? dollar question because. Yeah. I have talked to people who have intelligence backgrounds. I won't mention them. And some of them believe that one of the interests that China was pursuing, whether it was abstractly or in the lab, actually, I don't know. They don't know. But there had been rumors that they were researching Vira that would be specific to issues of gender and race, for example. And so that they would have been in engineering way in the future, some type of virus that might have immunity for maybe their own population, but not others. Right. And things of that nefarious and dangerous scope. And given yeah. what China does with the Uyghurs and organ harvesting and forced sterilization right. and the elements that are enforced, the one-child policy and how they treat people who are non-Chinese, that does not surprise me at all. I think yeah. this is the most dangerous, racist government really on the planet today. It has the most power to do damage to the most people. And I really want to talk to, to, to Dr. Yeah. Quake. I've heard him speak and I've read it and he's not an alarmist right. in the sense that he's not, I mean, he's very careful. He's got a company. He's a practical and theoretical man. And he is worried. And others like Stephen Mosher are worried. Right. And there's a lot of people who are worried because they have not gotten answers. And when I'll just end on this, when Peter Dasik is selected as one of the key people along with the Lancet Medical Journal in Britain to investigate the origins of the release or the birthing of this, I shouldn't say release, that's premature in their way of thinking. And they went over to China and they grandly were given a selective tour and they were not allowed to see certain people or certain research. But nevertheless, they came back and announced that the most probable 
birth of the virus was a natural one from miles away in a bat cave or somewhere, a pathogen that had no prior infection trace in any animal until it once appeared in men. Right. Nobody believed it. And nobody believed it to the extent that they were all discredited. And all the people who got who joined there are discredited except the dissonant voices who objected that it was a non-fair selection. It was sort of a January 6th version of medical research. And then the $64,000 question, I keep using that term, but right. we should ask ourselves to what degree are all were all of those people or maybe the medical journal itself in recipients of right. camouflage or redirected, but nevertheless, originally Chinese money. Yeah, show me the money, right? That's where I, it I, all I, starts. That's where yeah. it starts with the NBA. That's where it starts with LeBron James. That's where it starts with Steve Kerr. That's right. where it starts with Michael Bloomberg. That's where it starts with Bill Gates and his praise of the Chinese reaction to it. That starts mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. And until people are transparent and say, this is what I think about China. And here's, I can assure you, I have gotten no money from a Chinese entity. They're not credible. Right. Well, thanks for that, Victor. One last thing I'll say about back to the dinner with Jay Bhattacharya, who I just was kind of enthralled. What a nice, just a really nice guy. He was talking about COVID theater also. He says, yeah, and for example, you know, the those the plexiglass that you go to a store and everyone's behind plexiglass or office spaces divided by plexiglass. That actually makes the situation worse. But you know what? We still endure it here in our in, uh, in commerce and and he's a very empirical it's very empirical guy yeah. i mean that's yeah. what was so good about all of this i'll just finish with this irony that here stanford medical school gained international notoriety by censoring and publicly censoring and trying really to ruin the careers of the world's most distinguished epidemiologist and immunologist people like Jay and Yanidis and Levitt and uh, yeah. in terms of policy, Scott Atlas, it was the weirdest thing in the world when you'd go places and you'd say that you were from Stanford University and people would say, do you know these people? And they were pariahs at home and heroes throughout the world. And their reputations are now intact and enhanced and they were right. proven right. And each day that passes, the Dr. Fauci's and the Dr. Collins will be, and the Dr. Burks will be more desperate yeah. to contextualize all of their mistakes. And well, I'm I'm hoping there's a day of comeuppance, a real bona fide event of comeuppance. Yeah, and remember the last thing, and this is the I apologize for going on. None of them, as accused, ever said that coronavirus was a non-entity, that it was a mild disease. What they said was. They didn't know why particular individuals, maybe it was obesity, maybe it was diabetes, maybe it was a unique immune system, maybe it was care, they did, maybe it was age, but they said one to two percent of the population could get very, very ill right. in a large population that was very dangerous. You needed to protect them. They never, as this got me the angriest that people said, well, they just said it was like a cold. They never said that. Right. They right. said it could be very dangerous, but we could survive it without killing more people through neglected medicine and from the social pathologies of mask wearing and quarantines. And lockdowns, and right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Victor, thank and and by the way, I, I know our listeners heard it, but I'm excited too that you're going to be. Uh, I know mean, you've already started with the uh, interview aspect of the of the show, but that'll mean I guess on a typical week, hopefully there'll be five episodes. Well, I'll see you tomorrow. When you hear this, uh, I have to go to jury duty, and I'll see if the idea that I haven't been able to drive even very well because I've been ill, but I have to go to jury duty and see if I can be exempted from medical. Otherwise, I'm going to be tied up for maybe weeks. Well, we'll see. Just say the guy's guilty in advance and you'll get out of it. I'm sure that my name is not worth much that somebody would say, we do not want this person anywhere near. I think you have a good chance of getting bounced. We're almost out of time. So this part of the program. We thank our listeners and we do thank them. And this is quite enjoyable for me personally to be able to talk to Victor a couple times a week. And uh, I, I know there, there are many people would wish they were in this uh, position. And I, I, um, I take it. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm humble. I'm humble that I'm in this, able to, to speak to my friend in this way. And hopefully we're sharing Victor's wisdom as best as possible. We have people who listen on Apple podcasts or sometimes iTunes. It still exists. I'm told uh, they are, capable of leaving ratings and reviews. And one person, this is funny, this guy, Chuck1114, and you can leave one to five stars, and Chuck left five, but he actually then his, the title of his comment, he left a comment, was five stars also. you know, So he wanted to leave 10 stars. So he said, I put five additional stars in the title because VDH is, in fact, worth 10 stars. My parents were born in the 1920s. My father was a Republican. My mother was a Democrat, but they were both very conservative Christians. I'd be very interested in your thoughts concerning the evolution of the political parties, conservatism, and liberalism. And maybe, Victor, we will take that up as a question on a forthcoming podcast. But that's from Chuck114. Thanks to him, and thanks to everybody who leaves comments. We read the comments that folks who subscribe to victorhanson.com uh, leave. So uh, thanks much, Victor. Thank you very much for engaging today and for the wisdom you shared. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you soon. Or I should say talk to you soon. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Thank you.